You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Yeah, hey everybody, and welcome to Mosaic Church today. So glad you're with us. My name is Morgan. If this is your first time here, again, so glad you're with us. Uh, glad you're here today, and I hope it's not uh, your last time. If you're new to Mosaic, you may not know that we are part of a global family of churches called Every Nation. Every Nation is churches and campus ministries in more than 80 nations around the world. And we get to do something really cool together every January. We get to sort of go through the same teaching series every year in January. And this year, it's called Awesome God, as you've seen. And we're simply trying to to build a biography of sorts of the nature of the character of the person of God as revealed in human history. So I'm glad you're with us again. So glad to be going through this together. Let's take a look at our scripture reading. It's going to be today from Exodus chapter three. Follow along on your screen. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home, the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, well, what's his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. That's the reading of God's word. And of course, all God's people said, amen. Amen. Yeah. Right now, you know, there's a a big conversation happening across America uh, in boardrooms, uh, on teams, in workplaces. And I think it's a, it's a helpful one overall. And this particular conversation has to do with the idea of bringing our full selves into those boardrooms, into those business places, onto those teams. You know, it's, it's a common phrase. You may have heard it, bringing my full self. Uh, And it generally means, do I get to experience express who I really am. Uh, is who I really am wanted 
here? Uh, do people love me for me and value me not just for what I can do, which of course is important, but for who I am? Like, do you love my skin color? Do you love my ethnicity? How I wear my hair? Uh, these are these are helpful. These are important questions to ask because if someone has to ask you those questions, it means they've either forgotten what you said in the past or maybe it means they don't already know. So it's important to talk about. But on the other hand, the conversation breaks down a bit when you acknowledge that when it comes to others, well, you know, we don't really always want them to bring all of their full self into a certain place because just on a surface level alone, we would like for those around us, say, to practice good hygiene and to leave their full bad breath self someplace else. And on a deeper level, we would also not like for someone to bring their full, I hate the world vibe, uh, negativity with a couple of side vibes of, of, I'm going to steal your intellectual property and bully you online, self, (laughs) into the workplace, right? I think we would all prefer that that full self goes the way of some 1990s Christian end times novels and gets left behind. But the tension in the conversation is reflected in a couple of articles you may have seen published recently by business magazines. Check these out. May 2018, Forbes published this. Bring your whole self to work. Yeah, but about a year later, April 2019, after thinking about it, Forbes wasn't so sure anymore. And they published a follow-up in the form of a question. Is it time to rethink bringing your full self to work? And a few months later, Fast Company put magazine, Fast Company magazine put this one out. Why you shouldn't bring your whole self to work. But regardless of whether you are, where you are in a conversation, whatever you think that phrase means, what I think is underneath it is something that we all have in common, which is this. I think we would all like for people to say to us personally a big yes. Yes, you can bring who you are into my life. I want who you are around me. And especially, especially if you're married, uh, if you're looking to be married, if you're engaged and want to be married one day, you want the person you love to say to you, I receive all of you and what that means in my life. Because we all want to be able to bring our whole heart, our full self into a relationship. So what about when it comes to a relationship with the person of God? If the God of the Bible is personal, which he is, and which you want, by the way, because you don't want someone loving you like Bette Midler did in an old song, From a Distance. And that could have been the theme song of 2020, right? Loving each other from a distance, right? It was terrible, right? We don't want that. We were all trying to love each other from a distance. It was awful. No, no. We want a God who is personal because we all want to be loved personally and because love itself is always personal. But if God wants to be in your life, which he does, and even more so, let's say you're saying today, I think I would like for the God of the universe to be involved in my life. What does that mean? I think it would mean saying at a root level, God, whoever you are, whatever you are, if I am going to relate to you, That means I should want you to bring your full self into my life. I should want to receive you like I want others to receive me. So today, in the interest of not being hypocritical, in the interest of not, as the band U2 put it, not denying for others what we demand for ourselves, let's ask, well, who is God? Can he really bring Will we really allow him to bring his full self into our lives, into my life? And no matter who you are today, wherever you would say that you are with God today, if you've said no 
like relating to God is not for me. I'm not really about that. God life, Morgan, I'm just here because a friend invited me or because my, my parents are making me watch today. If that's you and you've said no, do you really know what you've said no to? And on the other hand, if you've said yes, if you said, I'm all in, all right, great, let's go. Do you know what you've said yes to? Who is God? What does his full self look like? And how does he bring his full self into our lives? That is actually what this narrative shows us. And therefore, we're going to see in the account of Moses in the burning bush, how the God of the universe, the God of the Bible brings his full self into the lives. People like you, people like me. We're going to see today three things from this passage, from this narrative. We're going to see that this God is the God of number one of timeless time. Number two, of the fuelless fire. And finally, he's the God of the impossible invitation. Timeless time, fuelless fire, impossible invitation. Let's go hop into the passage here and see how this God is a God of timeless time, number one. All right, when we meet this person here, Moses, when we meet Moses, you probably heard of him. He's the, the future slave rescuer, the future nation founder. What's he doing in this passage? Look at verse one, it says, now... Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert. This is, a, this is an artistic flourish here by the, by the writer telling us just how far Moses has fallen. Why is Moses tending the flock of Jethro now, it says? Well, we know from the book of Exodus that, that Moses was born as a Hebrew, but he was adopted by Egyptian royalty. He grew up in a palace. He got an Ivy League equivalent education, being groomed as a, as a next-gen leader of his culture. He had high hopes. He had a bright future in Egypt, but none of that. Came to pass. Why not? Well, it's because one day Moses' life took a detour. It took a detour. He, he murdered a man for mistreating one of his, his own people and, and he fled for his life. And now here he is, Exodus chapter 3, 40 years later, a fugitive from justice. He's tending the sheep, not just in the desert, but it says on the far side of a desert at a place in a mountain called Horeb. The word itself means desolation. Are you getting the picture? Moses appears not just to be a failure, but an epic failure. Moses has nothing. Moses knows no one in all his education. His experience in life and leadership are worthless. He now at 80 is a failed and forgotten old man whose life has been shattered and his confidence gone missing. Moses is, in other words, in other words, in exactly the right place for God to begin to use him. God is about to call and to deploy a broken down, has been, 80-year-old shepherd to change history. You say, Morgan, that's amazing. I said, well, maybe. I think, though, it's kind of offensive. What about those last 40 years, huh? Those seem pretty important. 40 years of my life, your life, those seem pretty important, right? I mean, imagine what God could have done with a, with a man in his prime. With all his looks, with all his charisma, with all his energy, right? And his strength. Oh, but have you noticed that God's sense of timing in your life isn't exactly the same as yours and mine? You ever noticed that? God, he's not afraid to let time pass. That would be we humans who are. 
You know, whenever you're driving uh, you're in your car, you're, you're flying or someplace and you're on your way to a big meeting or appointment and you take a wrong turn or there's a delay or a wrong exit, the thing that screams at you loudest, say, in the car is this, I'm wasting time, right? Look at all the time I'm wasting. I've lost that 15 minutes, lost a half hour and I can't, I can't get it back. Uh, uh, Carrie and I, we had some friends a few years ago who moved from Austin to try to start a new church up in Denver, Colorado, and they, they loaded up. There are four kids in the car, actually in the van, and they drove to Houston, not to Denver. And it wasn't on purpose. They went east, not north. The dad, classic dad move, right, had gone a wrong way. And so three hours into the trip, one of the kids looked up and said, Dad, why does the sign say, welcome to Houston? And of course, there was weeping and gnashing of teeth in the car because with that round trip that was now six hours wasted and that's what it feels like just a little when you're detoured like you've lost something irretrievably but in God's economy God's timing God's kingdom time is absolutely relative what does it mean after all to be on time huh what does it mean to be on time what does it mean to be late When, for example, do you have to say, I'm sorry for being late? I looked this up, a few cultural examples here. Uh, And when you have to say, I'm sorry for being late. United States, roughly, most of us, it's five to ten minutes. When you have to say, I'm sorry for being late. In Northern Europe, extend it a little bit, it's about ten to fifteen minutes. In Latin America, you may know, it's about thirty to forty-five minutes. On the island of Yap, true place, which is east of the Philippines, Micronesia, it's about two to four hours of delay before you're considered late. So what does it mean to be late? Well, as you can see, it all depends on who you are and where you're from. And when you're God and you not only live outside of time, but you made time itself, you're never late. You arrive precisely when you mean to. You know, for some of us, this past year has felt like a giant detour, hasn't it? Maybe your marriage felt like that, feels like that. Right now, maybe your, your experience, your student in school with distance learning, virtual learning, it's felt like a giant detour. Maybe it feels like whatever is happening in your job, your business, your industry, your workplace is a detour. It's taking you where you, you never thought you'd be taken away longer than you'd ever hoped. But I want to tell you today, no delay in God's hands. No detour in God's plan is ever wasted. Because what, after all, did Moses need this detour for? Oh, only for confronting an empire. Only for emancipating a group of slaves. And now, now here in Exodus 3, not just after one year, but after 40 years of detour, 40 years of being reshaped, 40 years of being reformed, Moses could lead a nation from a desert because he had been reshaped on a divine detour. That's who this God is. He's the God of timeless time. Let me ask you, have you allowed him to bring his full self, this life-shaping tool into your life, your heart today, your plans, to save you just maybe, like Moses, from personal destruction, to head you off from crashing your life, to making you wait in order to become something great. And maybe, just maybe on divine tours, detours, God's best plan of all is this. He wants to bring us to himself. And we're going to see that right now because number two, we're going to see he's not just the God of timeless time, but he's also the God of the fuelless fire. Let's take a look at that right now. Look at, we're going to go on to the passage here. It says there, there at Horeb in the place of nowhere, far side of the desert, the angel of the Lord appeared to him. 
in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. And we're going to talk about fire right now because fire, what we see here, fire isn't just an amazing thing. It's also an amazing metaphor, right? It's an amazing metaphor. And because it's such an amazing thing, we use it as a metaphor and we use this metaphor all the time in our culture. Think about it. Think about it. For example, Johnny Cash fell into a ring of it. Billy Joel didn't start it. Alicia Keys, she's a girl on it. Denzel was a man on it. The doors asked you to light it. Adele took it and set it on the rain. Garth Brooks stood outside it. St. Elmo had it. Shaka Khan went through it. There were chariots of it. Rockmaster Scott told us the roof was on it. And on one TV show today, there are little ones everywhere. Thank you. I could go on. I'll be here all week. But it's an amazing metaphor, right? Fire, yeah. But way before any of them, any of them, songs, movies, shows, used fire to describe anything or anyone. The God of the Bible used it to describe himself. Why? Well, let's look at what metaphors, by contrast, aren't used here. God, God could have shown himself to Moses as another sort of like basic substance or a basic metaphor because, you know, it, he isn't here, for example. He isn't the God of like the watery creek or the clay basin, is he? No, no, no. Why? Because water... Clay are both substances you move by your presence. In other words, you shape them. You move the water by your presence. You shape the clay by your power. Oh, but fire, fire moves you. Fire shapes you by its presence, by its power. You can boil the water. You can melt the clay. But the fire, oh, fire consumes you. What does this mean? Let's keep going for a moment. Now, normally fire depends on what to burn. Come on, you all know this science class, right? Every fire you and I have ever seen depends on some kind of fuel to keep it burning. The fire Moses saw kept on burning. It did not go out. It was not extinguished. It, through its own power, kept on burning. What does that mean? It means this. It means that Moses was seeing a visual picture of what Moses was about to hear from the mouth of God. It says, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, I love this, here I am. And then God says famously, oh Moses, take off your sandals. The place you're standing on is, is holy ground. And I think Moses has got to be saying like, holy ground, God, this is the desert at Horeb, not the, the beach at, at Hawaii. And God's like, I, I know, son, but if time doesn't matter to me, then the place sure doesn't either. This ground is holy because I'm here. And now that I'm here, here's what I want you to do, son. I want you to go confront the greatest military might, superpower, the nation of your day. Demand they release the people on whose backs their nation has been built. I've heard my people's cry. Enough is enough. And I... I will be with you. And I think, I think this is sort of God's like Mandalorian season one moment. Like I have spoken, you know, and, and Moses asked him, are you, are you sure God? What did they ask me? Who sent me? What should, who should I say has sent me? And here's the, here it is. Verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. That's what you're to say. I am has sent me to you. Tell them I am has sent you. What does this mean? 
something God's saying here. I have no beginning and no end. No one caused me. I am my own cause. I am the source of all causes and power and being. Nothing brought me into being. Nothing keeps me going that's outside of me. I depend on no one. He's saying, Moses, I am who I am. Not who you or the Israelites or even Pharaoh want me to be. I'm the fuelless fire. And I shape people. I shape history. People in history don't shape me. This is tough for us, right? I mean, this is tough for modern people to accept. It's tough for me to accept. I mean, this is tough for people who ask, can I bring my full self into every space? Because the answer I think that I am gives here is, it depends. It depends. If you're Moses and you're asked that, if you ask, can I bring my full self, God? Like, God, I'm scared. I'm lonely. I don't know how this is all going to work out. But yes, here I am. Here I am. Then help me, God. Then I think his answer is yes. But if you're Pharaoh, if you're Pharaoh, and you're intent on maintaining power at all costs and oppressing a whole people group, then the answer is no. No, you cannot bring your full self into the space and relate to I am. Now, that's easy for us to see, you know, easy enough for to, to grasp about Moses and Pharaoh. But what about us? What about us? How does relating to the full self of I am shape us? Shape us, the God of fire. How does that shape us? Let me give you two examples. First, if you're a Christian business person here, for example, and all the, the people around you say are ruthless because that happens. They, they cut corners. Maybe they overcharge their customers. Maybe they racially profile their customers. And the ones who do this seem to be getting ahead and not getting caught. What do you do? What do you do? Do you give in? Do you do it yourself to make more money? Get ahead on the fast track? Or do you do what you know is right, even though it may cost you? You may make less. If you give in, if you do those things, it shows that you've been shaped by the gods of Egypt, the gods of Pharaoh, not the god of I am. See, relating to God shapes us publicly. Publicly. Second example, uh, a couple of sociologists, actually one who's a professor here at the University of Texas. He came out with a book a couple of years ago called, here's the title of it, Premarital Sex in America. And in it, they study the lives of two groups of unmarried, college-educated males, both ages 18 to 23. Group A consisted of males who were raised in communities who did not think there was anything wrong with sex outside marriage. Group B consisted of males who were raised in churches and families who believed there was something wrong about sex outside of marriage. Two groups, both with the same age, background, education level, and marital status, but who differed in background beliefs. In the first group, the group that said, I don't believe there's anything wrong with sex outside marriage when they reported uh, their lives and behavior, 23% of them were virgins. The second group, though with the church background beliefs, the group who said, I do believe there's something wrong with sex outside marriage, only 28% are virgins. And you know that in a, in a, five, in a survey like this, a 5% difference is like a statistical wash. In other words, there was no actual difference in behavior between how young men who claim sex outside marriage is wrong and those who say there is nothing wrong with it. And the sociologist said that the explanation is easy to see, that your faith, uh, your church, your family may tell you one thing and the culture tells you another. And in the end, you're believing what the culture tells you. So you've been shaped by the gods of Egypt, gods of Pharaoh. 
But to relate to the God of I am, it means you must be shaped both publicly and privately. Both how we treat others publicly and what we do with our, our bodies privately. See, I, I am. He's the God of fire, not clay. He shapes you. You say, I think, I think I'd prefer the clay. No, you wouldn't, at least not in the long run. Because while the God of clay, he feels so nice when you mold it. So nice when you shape it. It feels so nice when you put that God of Plato back up like the elf on the shelf where you want him, right? The God of clay, though, in the end, can never save you. The God of clay can never set a million slaves free and give them dignity, culture, and a land. And a God of clay can't rescue you either. See, the question, the question that we should be asking, therefore, when we read this, when we're thinking, if you're thinking today about life and faith and spirituality is not, can I bring my full self? But this, can I become my full self? Can I become my full self? Can I become who I was meant to become? Can the God of the burning bush help me overcome my flaws? Can I am burn away my insecurities, my destructive patterns? The God of clay says, hey, you don't have those. You're fine how you are, even as your life falls apart and your relationships fracture. Become who you're meant to become. You're already that now at 25 years old. (laughs) No, but we know that can't be true. Look at the state of the world. Oh, but can we become? who we were meant to become if we bring the full self of I am into our lives. And if the answer is yes, my question is, well, then how, how, if fire is lethal, how, if fire burns, how, if fire consumes? And if the answer is yes, and it is, it's only because this God, the God of fire is a God who also extends in the end, number three, the impossible invitation. What do I mean? Let's back up to the beginning. It says there, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire. God called to him from within the bush. What's this? Well, all the, all through the Bible there, there are angels who appear. The specific angel called the angel of the Lord, the angel of Yahweh appears all throughout the Hebrew scriptures, Old Testament. And unlike other angels, this angel doesn't just speak from God. This angel, the angel of the Lord speaks as God. And you can see it right here in this verse, because this passage says that it's the angel of the Lord who's in the bush, but that God speaks to Moses from within. The bush. So which is it? Is it the angel of the Lord speaking or is it God? And the answer is yes. The angel was in the bush, yes, yet it was God speaking as the angel. In other words, the angel was the mediator. There was a figure in the fire who came to Moses and mediated between God and Moses, who came between them and brought them together. This is a principle we see all throughout the Old Testament. If you know anything at all about it, God's always saying, if you want to know me, if you want to come closer, which he tells Moses, Moses, he says, come closer. Then he says, don't come closer, right? But if you want to come closer, you're going to need a substitute. Something that takes your place in the fire and over and over in the Old Testament. Something was always sacrificed. Something was always put into a fire. Something took a person's place in that fire. And the sacrifice was put in the fire to remind God's people that this would be you if it weren't for the sacrifice to take away the punishment that real wrong and real violence and real evil deserves. See, God, God wouldn't be impunitive. No, no, no. He's being just. He's being just. What the people in the Old Testament understood as that lamb was slain, burned in front of them 
was that this has made it possible for you to come before and remain in relationship with God of I am. See, something's taking your place. And there's a, there's a fire here, right? But Moses isn't consumed. And yet there's no sacrifice. How can Moses not be consumed if there's no sacrifice? Nothing went in the fire. Well, this is possible because the angel of the Lord doesn't just take Moses' place in the fire. He takes God's place in the fire. He stands in the middle to bring both together. And the only way to possibly understand this is to see what the New Testament shows us in full and tells us, which is that Jesus of Nazareth is the mediator between God and and people. And that this picture here in Exodus is but a vague sketch of the full blown image of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Because Jesus did, he did bring his full self, didn't he, into the world. He brought his divinity. He encased it in humanity. And what did humanity do with it? His very best, huh? Humanity did with Jesus what it does many times to the best parts of us. Jesus was rejected and despised. Those closest to him says he was cursed, afflicted by God. Why? Why? He became sin. Who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness, the approved ones of God. He became what he was not. The divine became human, went into the fire of God's wrath so that we can become what we were not. Not only children of God, but hear me, changed, shaped, empowered by his presence, by his Holy Spirit. You say, Morgan, does that that really work? Does it really work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look what happened to Moses, right? When he allowed God's full self into his life. It was only a hint of what we have in Christ. But look at Moses, Moses. Did he become more or less by saying yes to the impossible invitation? Come on. He became more, right? Look at Hebrews 11. Looking back on this says, by faith, Moses left Egypt, not fearing. Don't you love that? Not fearing, not fearing the wrath of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is unseen. Let me tell you, translators, they can't even begin to tell you. To put in here what it says here. This literally says, Moses saw him who is unseen. It's a paradox come true. Moses saw Jesus in the fire for him and he was never the same. And you can be certain of this because of what Jesus said himself many years later. Jesus said in John 8 to those Pharisees, he said before Abraham even was. I am. That was a shot across the bow of theologies and worldviews and every religion. Jesus is saying, that's my name. I was there when it was given to Moses. And where was it given? Oh, in the bush, right? By that angel, he's saying, that was me. I am the God who's existed from all eternity. And I'm the God who's going to go into the fire for you so that you can have the fire of God in you now. And like Moses, endure, endure, endure. Say, Morgan, how do I get that? I get that. Last thought. Like Moses, three things. You turn aside. You say, here I am. And you take off your sandals. It's a way of honoring, showing respect to God. Let's pray here. I'm going to pray for the Holy Spirit, for God's Spirit to come right where you are and make that space where you are right now, holy ground. Listen, would you just enter into this moment with me by faith? I'm going to ask you and pray for us that we would turn aside. Say, God, here I am. Here I am. And take off our sandals. Lord, we come to you in Jesus' name. I'm praying for many of us watching today that we would turn aside. We turn aside. Meeting with you. Time in your word. Time with your people. 
time worshiping is not, it's not a wasted time. No, it's turning aside. It's a, a divinely given detour that creates space for you to meet with us. So Lord, by faith now, we just turn aside. We turn aside from the Twitter feed. We turn aside from doom scrolling. We turn aside from the news feed and all that stuff. We turn aside. Even shepherding the flock. Moses had a job, but he turned aside to see, to see this thing. Lord, help us to turn aside this week. Lord, help us also to say, here I am. Say, here I am. Lord, maybe with palms up, hands raised, we just say, here I am, God. Here we are, this church, this nation. Here I am. Lord, we just remove our sandals now. This is a sign of respect, like someone taking off their, their hat or a coat. It's a, to show, to show, you're here. We've heard you. So Lord, we do that. We honor you. Thank you for being with us, for loving us. And I'm praying for those, maybe who don't even know you today, they would take that step of faith and just say, God, here I am. Here I am. Would you change me? Jesus, would you come in? Change my life today. Lord, we love you. Thank you for this. Thank you for being the self-existent one. I am who I am. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen and amen. Thank you for being here today, Mosaic. God bless you. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.